Good morning and welcome to the Mount. My name is Adam and I'm the lead pastor here. And I know you've probably heard this already this morning, but I wanna get a chance to say it. I just wanna say happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. We so appreciate you. And I know also as a pastor that um, in a room this size, regardless of what campus you are at on Mother's Day, there can be a mix of emotions. You may be here today and your motherhood journey is on cloud nine and you are celebrating and you are just loving being a mom and being pampered, we wanna celebrate with you. Or maybe you're in the middle of a mothering season right now that is difficult and hard. I just want you to know we're with you. Maybe for you, the journey of motherhood has not been what you expected. Maybe you had these dreams and these visions of what God was going to do in and through your family, but maybe through infertility or miscarriage, you have not had the privilege and the honor of being a mother yet. And I just want you to know as a church, we're with you. We're in the despair and the grief. We know that not everything is a celebration. Scripture says there are time for tears and time for cheers. And we want you to know as a church, that regardless of where you are in your motherhood journey, if you are a female at the Mount, we are with you and for you and we celebrate you. So thank you. Well, if you, are, if you are joining us for the first time, we are in a series titled The Arena, and we are in the final week of this series, week five, where we are wrapping up a series where we are kind of taking a moment and being very intentional and really focusing in and narrowing in and talking specifically about men and manhood here at the church. And we're doing this not because we believe that women are less than or not as important. We're doing this because we find ourselves at this unique moment in American culture where I believe the church, not, not the Mount, but the, the, the large capital C American church has done a, a decently bad job of casting this compelling, Christ-honoring, kingdom-advancing, God-honoring, make you want to get out of your chair and charge the gates of hell kind of vision for what it means to be a man in the kingdom of God. And so our hope and our desire through this series is we would recapture a little bit of that spirit, that spirit where God created men to do something, to be someone, to make a difference. And I've said this every single week, but here at the Mount, we are, are not doing this series because we believe that women are less than or not as important. In fact, I would definitely not say that on Mother's Day, right? But we believe here at the Mount from the very beginning, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when God made man and woman, Adam and Eve, he created them both in his image. They are made together in the image of God, which means that man and woman both have the same value, significance, worth and authority in God and the way that they reflect the divine image of him. But at the same time, we've said all along that we see in scripture that even though they are equal in worth and value and significance and honor, they are different in their roles and their responsibilities beginning in the garden and going and permeating in all aspects of life. In fact, you, you may remember in Genesis chapter two, verse 15, this has kind of been a foundational verse for us through the last five weeks. We said that the Lord God took the man, like as, he's, as creating mankind, he takes the man and he puts him in the garden and it says so that he could work it and keep it. Man, man was given a, a task, a responsibility 
This isn't the task or responsibility that was given to woman Eve. She had something else, but God placed the man in the garden. It's important to remember, and we've said this every week as well, that the garden for Adam represented everything there was in his life. It was his entire sphere of influence. And so God looks at Adam and he places him in this place for a purpose and a time and a significant measure of what he's supposed to do for his kingdom. And he says, your duty, your responsibility is to work it and keep it. And those words, work and keep, we've looked at every single week. The word work kind of means to cultivate. And if you think about it in the context of a garden where that agricultural language comes from in Genesis chapter two, God is telling Adam, the garden that I have given you, everything within your sphere of influence, you have been tasked, you have been given the responsibility, the duty, the obligation to cultivate it, to work it, to till it, to make sure that it thrives and flourishes and that everything in your sphere lives to its best potential for the kingdom of God. And we've said that as men, we have a garden. We have a garden, a sphere of influence in our lives, and we have been tasked or we have been given the duty and the obligation and the responsibility to cultivate the things in our garden, to make sure that the people around us, that their heart and their faith and their journey towards Jesus is thriving and flourishing the same way a gardener would his soil and the garden. We're also told to protect it. That word in the, in the Hebrew means to, to keep it, to protect it, to watch over it, to, to guard it. And it's this idea that you and I as men, we have been tasked by God to protect and guard and watch and keep an eye on the things in our garden. And so over the last month, we've been looking at these various arenas or gardens where we've been given the task of cultivating and protecting if you've been here, you'll remember we kind of started this series talking about the, the one fault that lies deep within the hearts of every single one of us as men, passivity. We then said that the, one, of the, one of the most significant battles or arenas that we fight in is the internal arena when we wake up every single day and we look in the mirror and the voice tells us that we are not good enough, we are not strong enough, we are not who we think we are. There is this gap between who we are and who we want to be and the enemy uses that gap to push us back to complacency and passivity to keep us from advancing his kingdom and helping the people in our garden flourish and thrive. And then we spent for some of you what was maybe an uncomfortable week talking about the sexual arena. And then last week we kind of dove in in a very quick snapshot and talked about what it means to cultivate the hearts of our children as fathers. And so today on Mother's Day, I think it's fitting that today we're gonna spend some time talking about the final arena of our life, the arena of marriage, the marriage arena. And just so we're on the same page, um, Adam was given this task, this job, this responsibility to work and protect everything around him. And Adam, if you remember, he failed. Adam was told, like, protect your garden, work your garden, cultivate it. But, the, but Satan disguises the serpent, comes up to Eve, and he comes to Eve, and he, he promises her, and it's important what he promises her. He promises her happiness, success, fulfillment. In other words, he promises her that she will be just like God. She will have everything she wants and desires if she eats this fruit. And in our mind, we think that Adam was off hunting meat or building a campfire. But Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam was with her. So in this, this key moment, 
This, this, this moment when his, his mission is being stretched, when he is being challenged and confronted, Adam, if he was following God in this moment, would have stepped up or stepped in and put a stop to this attack and he would have protected and cultivated, but instead Adam stepped back and was passive. He failed. And men, deep in our hearts, every single one of us, we live in the shadow of Adam's passivity. When things get difficult, when things get tough, when things get uncomfortable, our flesh, our, our natural sinful nature cries for us to step back and be comfortable. And because of his passivity, our, our world, both man and woman, were cursed. And this is important because as we talk about marriage this morning, because the very curse that God placed on Adam and Eve in the garden, the very curse that he placed on man and woman is deep at the root, the, the theological roots way below the branches of what are many of the problems within each and one of our marriages. And so listen to Genesis chapter three, verse 16 and 19. This is where uh, God is pronouncing the curse on them for their, for their disobedience and their sinfulness and their rebellion. He says this, it says, God said to the woman, so he talks to the woman first, and he says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Women, you are some of the strongest people in the world when it comes to that, right? But I don't know what it was like before, maybe it was just a breeze, but now God says there will be pain as part of childbirth. And he says, and, you, and this is important, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. To the woman, the curse, God basically says, yeah, there's the pain piece, the childbearing piece, but the, the significant piece that impacts our marriage, he basically says, woman, you will be gripped by an unhealthy desire to control and possess the man in your life. Deep within you, you will want control over him, but he will rule over you. The very foundation is opposed now. The thing you want is against what he will give you. And then he looks at the man in verse 17 and he continues. He says, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. So all your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Now, there's, there's the obvious part of the curse where Adam is no longer mortal or immortal. He, he is gonna die, he's gonna return back to dust. But there's the secondary part of the curse that says, hey, you are gonna spend your life toiling the soil, soil working the ground, producing fruit, and it will always be a burden to you, it will be a labor to you. Therefore, the thing that you will work in, the thing you will find pleasure in and work will always be grueling and demanding and difficult. But don't miss the subtlety underneath these two things. In essence, by forcing the man to work the soil, to cultivate, to, to dig deep and it not produce the fruit, what God is saying is he's saying, Adam, I'm turning your heart external away from the internal. In other words, Adam, before the fall, your heart was bent towards your wife. Now, your heart is bent towards everything else but her. In other words, 
Because of the curse in our marital relationships, woman has an unhealthy desire for the man and a man has an unhealthy desire away from the woman. They are at odds. There is no compatibility. While one desires the other, the other desires something else and they fight because of this. In other words, men, because of the curse, there is this tendency for us to pour our energy into everything in our world that surrounds us, all of our career and our hobbies and everything around us to the neglect of the woman that God has placed in our garden. Ladies, for those of you that are married, I need your participation this morning. And so at all of our campuses, let's just, let's just be honest with each other, okay? Like if you're new here, I, I like honesty, I like participation. How many of you, um, if you were just being honest, not all the time, but every now and then, every so often, occasionally, you would say you have a tendency to control your husband a little bit. Men, now is not the time to throw elbows. That is not okay. Just look at me, don't even look over there. <laughs> Women, uh, this guy's raising his wife's arms over here, man. <laughs> and she is celebrating it. Their marriage must be amazing. I don't know. So, Women, it, it's, it's difficult. There's, and it's, we, we, we hide it sometimes, but listen, it's part of the curse. It's not our fault. Like We, we need to fight against it, but it's part of the curse. It's, it's part of the, the curse of our disobedience and rebellion is that you will long to control and possess your husband and get him to do the things you want to do. And why won't he just put the dishes the way, like I said? Men, how many of you this morning would be honest and admit that you are actively and passionately and aggressively engaged in your career and your hobbies? But when it comes to your marriage, you can be passive and lazy. <laughs> Women, it's Mother's Day, you can elbow. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit, there have been seasons in my life where if I am not careful, I can put the church above my wife. I can be a full-time pastor and a part-time husband because of the curse that lives in me. Because my desire that once was for her and her completeness in me is now external. How do we fight that? Men, deep inside of you, deep in your heart, there is this draw, this pull away from your wife. But God has tasked you with the responsibility to cultivate the heart of your wife. So for this morning, uh, I wanna look at what I think is maybe one of the most profound teachings in all of scripture about the marriage relationship. Now, let's pause for a minute because I know like I'm talking about marriage and I literally have like 18 minutes left, right? 20 minutes total. And you could be like, man, you're gonna leave here and you're gonna think, man, he didn't say this, he didn't say this, he didn't talk about this. And yeah, what about blank, 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 and blank, blank, blank could be communication, fighting fair, physical intimacy, all these things. Listen, we could do a 32 week series on marriage and still not help us all live the best marriages in the world, right? It takes a lot of work. And so what I wanna do today is I really wanna narrowly, very narrowly focus in on how as men, we can cultivate the hearts and minds of our brides from a theological standpoint. So I'm gonna stretch you today. 
There's not gonna be your three steps to communicate well. Your, your two steps to this. No, no, we're gonna, we're gonna go deep into the roots of our heart and figure out how is it that we can cultivate the relationship with the bride that we have from a theological standpoint. And we're gonna do this by looking at Ephesians chapter five. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to go ahead and open up. If you don't have your Bible, I would love for you to use the Mount app. You can download that if you haven't. And you can find all of our scripture references and even spots for you to take notes. Or if you're like, man, I don't even know if I'm coming back next week. You can watch the verses on the screen as well. We're just glad you're here today for the first time. So let's just dive in. We're gonna start with verse 21. And so Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus in this moment. And Paul is kind of one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the original that was with Jesus, but he kind of came a little bit later, just kind of really quickly later, but he met Jesus on a road and it changed his life forever. And now Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus and he's telling them in this passage of what a marriage should look like. And he spends a lot of time talking about husbands. So we're gonna dive in. Verse 21, and then we're slowly gonna get all the way to 29. He says, and further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, first, submit to one another out of reference, reverence for Christ. And he's gonna talk about this incredibly practical stuff in a little bit, but first, Paul wants us to see the theological foundation of everything he is about to say, and he says it's rooted in two things if you're taking notes. He says, submit to one another and reverence for Christ. First, a healthy marriage is built on men, you pursuing Jesus. Let that, if you hear nothing else today, let that sink in. Just lean in for a moment. Your marriage... Your relationship with your bride, your spouse, the way you cultivate our, her heart will never be the way God intended it to be if you are lazy and passive in your pursuit of Jesus. Why? Because it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of your fear and your awe of Christ. And the idea here that Paul is saying is saying, you are so enamored with Christ. You are so in love with Jesus. You are so in awe at how great and majestic he is that therefore you submit to your wife and the overflow of how, broad, how much you love Jesus pours into her. Men, some of you are trying to love your, life, your wife like Christ without pursuing Christ. And that does not work. He says, submit to one another. Secondly, he says, all of marriage is rooted in this idea of mutual submission. Submit to one another. It's mutual, it's both parties, husband and wife, male and female, submitting to each other. And maybe you came in this morning and your idea of marriage, maybe based on culture or the way you grew up or just kind of figuring things out on your own, was marriage was more of this 50-50 relational contract where I'm gonna give 50% and you give 50% and therefore our marriage will be 100%. Listen, I don't know how long you've been following Jesus, but like if you're not following him, math in the Bible never adds up. Like, rarely do we look at it and say, that wouldn't meet science. No, it's, it's all crazy. Like, the, the, the Bible doesn't paint this picture of a 50-50 marriage. Because in a 50-50 marriage, as you're submitting to one another, what happens in a 50-50 marriage is I'm giving halfway. And if my wife doesn't give back in my expectations, I step back because I say, she didn't uphold her into the bargain. Therefore, I don't have to try as hard. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Marriage, men, 
we'll talk to you first, is mutual submission. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller says this, and I love this. He says, whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but the other. We give our everything, all of ourselves. And he says, that is the hardest yet single most important function of being a husband in marriage. It's two people submitting mutually to each other. And then Paul says, now that we've laid this foundation that it's built on you pursuing Christ and submitting to each other, verse 22, he says, let's go deeper. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Let's, let's pause here for a second. Remember, this is a series on manhood. So ladies, you have a free pass for the moment, right? Like we're just gonna move past the whole submission thing for you guys and we'll cover that in a marriage series at some future date. Here's what I want you to see when it comes to men though. The first thing Paul says is when it comes to marriage, if, if you are submitting to each other, it says that the husband is to be the head, the leader of the marriage, the relationship. He is the leader who is setting the tone and the direction of where it goes. Now, I wanna be very careful about this because in my years of pastoral ministry experience, I have seen healthy marriages live this and I have seen unhealthy marriages on two extremes. On one extreme, you have the person who says, you know what? I am abdicating my leadership. My wife loves leading. She seems to be okay with it. She steps up and makes the decisions. She does this with the kids. She does with her finances. You know what? I don't really, I got a job. I got a career. I've got hobbies and golf takes a lot of time and sports takes a lot of time. I'm okay. I'm abdicating my leadership to my wife. Men, it's not your call. You are called to lead. It is your duty, your task, your responsibility from God to lead your family. When you abdicate, you are living in the shadow of Adam. You are being passive. Now, on the other extreme, can be the guy who says, you know what? Scripture says, I'm to lead my house. You will do what I say, when I say, how I say, where I say, with what I like, all the, and you, you are this dictator leader who says, my decisions matter, your voice is minuscule, I'm the most important thing in this family, you will follow me and I will put my foot down, and that's because I am the leader. Men, that's not leadership, that's being a dictator. That's just you using your bully platform to make someone else in your life do your will in a selfish way because you haven't worked out the sin that's in your heart. That's not what a leader does. Let me, let me explain it this way. A leader sets the tone and the direction for the thing that they are responsible for. In this case, your marriage. Let me give you an example from my life. I am the leader of this church. I use air quotes because I have a hard time saying that because I believe that Christ is the leader of the church. I am just his representative here on earth for this moment of the Mount season. But let's just say on paper, I'm the leader of the church. The elders signed the paper. It's, it's what it says in my job title, right? So I am the leader of this church. Now, by the role that I have, I am allowed to, if I want to, make every single decision that happens across all of our campuses with all $6 million, with every single department that affects every single person. Now, if I did that, one, we would be a very bottlenecked organization. 
It would be slow. There'd be a line of people waiting to get to my office to ask me a question. Two, you guys don't want that because I don't always make really good decisions. Like for the most part, I make decent decisions, but everybody gets decision fatigue after making decisions and just says, fine, whatever, do that, right? So what have I done as a leader? I have surrounded myself with the smartest, wisest, most Jesus-loving people I could find. And I have told them, here's the tone, the direction, and the vision. Go make decisions. And I empower them to do that. And we are a better church because of that. When it comes to my family, I could make every decision, but that's not healthy. Instead, my wife and I have sat down and we have conversations and we talk about what is the, the feel, the tone of our family? What is the, the five-year, the 10-year plan, the goal, the dream, the direction? And we discuss that. And she looks to me and says, will you give us clarity? And in the moments where we're walking that plan, following that path, pursuing Jesus, and we get to really difficult moments in our marriage, and we're pursuing God, and we're trying to discern, do we do X or do we do Y, and which road do we take, and we get to this standstill where I think one thing and she thinks the other, she looks at me and says, Adam, because you are pursuing Jesus, because I know your heart is for him, I will follow you, even if it's a wild and crazy dream, because I trust you as a leader, because you are not passive, and you are not abdicating your responsibility. You are pursuing Jesus. It is your rude duty. It is your responsibility. There are two extremes, and Paul says, don't be one or the other. And then he gives us this model to follow. Look at verse 25. I love this verse. He says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, side note here, that, that word love your wives in the Greek is not just like a statement, it's a command. So Paul, don't, don't miss this, Paul, because of the fall, Adam received Eve in the garden. And the first thing he says is, whoa, she's beautiful. She's amazing. He embraces her and they're hanging out naked and they're having a great life. And he is enamored by her, in love with her. But now because of the curse, because of the fall, Paul literally has to command, husbands, love your wives. We have come that far since the garden that we have to be commanded just to love our wives. Because our natural Bent, our natural sin, again, is away from them. And he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And it's an action, it's a verb. He says, you can't, you can't say this, you have to do it. And he shows us in the rest of verse 25, he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. Remember, marriage is not a 50-50 relationship where you give 50 and that's your duty and responsibility. Paul says you are to love her like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Not 50%, not 60, not 70, not halfway. He was all in. He gave up his life for the church. He surrendered his will his want and his desires so that his church would flourish and thrive. Men, regardless of the state of your marriage, 
you have a responsibility to give 100% to your wife sacrificially as a servant. That is the woman that God has placed in your garden for you to care for and to cultivate her thriving and flourishing heart. It is your duty. Husbands, let's just be real and honest real quick. How much are you giving? And I'm not talking on the anniversary. I'm talking when you come home from the long commute and it's the end of the day. And that is the first time you are seeing your bride face to face. Are you giving her your leftovers and your scraps? Or are you giving her everything? I don't, this could be me reading into this because scripture is full of grace and full of mercy and full of redemptive story after story. But at the same time, Paul's language leads me to believe that anything less than 100% is selfishness. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna stand before Jesus one day and say, Jesus, you just don't understand it was a really busy day. Like we had soccer in the morning and then, you know, my grandparents came in and they wanted to barbecue and I was tired. And so at night when she was ready to talk about her feelings, I just had nothing left to give God. We give 100%. Author Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, this side of heaven, good marriages are good because the people in those marriages are committed to doing daily the things that make them good. Things go wrong when couples think they have reached the point when they can retire from the work of pursuit and just chill out, lay back, and slide through. Personally, I can't speak for you, but personally, I hope and pray that I spend the next 60 years of my life out loving, out giving, out serving, out pursuing, out sacrificing my wife. And hopefully, which she does, she is doing the same to me and it brings us together in this beautiful thing called marriage. But even if for some reason she stops, my duty, my responsibility, my role as a man who fights in the arena of marriage is to continue laying down my life, out serving, out loving, out giving her until the very day that I die. Why? Because the way that I love her shows the world how Christ loves his people. And you have an important job as men. The very thing you do for your wife shows the unbeliever, the person who doesn't know Jesus, how much Jesus loves them. Lay down your life for her. Serve her over and over and over and over again. And there will be times where you will say, I don't feel like it, Adam. I promise you won't feel like it. You won't feel like it this afternoon, even after hearing this. There will be times you don't want to serve her. You don't want to extend forgiveness. You don't want to do what she's asking. You don't want to have the conversation. Listen very clearly to me. Get over it. Get over it. There is no other area of your life where you would say, you know what? Like, 
I don't really feel like going into work today, so I'm not. I don't feel like paying my taxes this year. I'm not. No, you would be fired, homeless, and in jail. So why do you think that excuse works on the very person that God has placed in your life that you are to cultivate and care and to help thrive and flourish in her relationship with Jesus and you just abdicate it because your feelings don't feel like it in that moment? Get over your feelings. Healthy marriages are not built when a husband only does things when he feels like it. They are built when a husband who gets up every single day and puts his boots on and gets in the arena and fights and sacrifices daily over and over and over again, even when he doesn't feel like it because it is a responsibility that God has given him and you fight and you fight and you fight to help her flourish, flourish and thrive. And you might say, but man, Adam, like, I don't know that we love each other. Like we're, we, listen, that's true. There may have been something that happened in your marriage, a major milestone moment where trust and love was broken. Or it may just be years of drift where the person you are lying next to, or maybe you're not even sharing a room right now, but that person is not the person you fell in love with. I'm sorry. As your pastor, I, I really am. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but let me explain it this way. If your car runs out of gas, do you just leave it on the side of the road forever or go and sell it? No. You go get gas and fill it back up. When your marriage, if it feels like there's no love, you don't just leave it on the side of the road forever and forget about it. Or you don't go and sell it. You grab that gas can and you walk the three miles to the gas station in the scorching heat, even while she just sits in the car waiting. And you come back and you fill up the tank day after day because it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what God has called you to do. It matters. And you say, Adam, we're just not happy though. Like you just don't understand, like we're miserable, we're not happy, things aren't great right now. Again, I'm really sorry about that. But happiness is a feeling and it's fickle and it changes. And I, not to step on your toes because this is super important right here, but your marriage, the purpose of your marriage is not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. The purpose of your marriage, sure, happiness is a byproduct. It, it can come from it. And ideally, as you both are pursuing each other and pursuing Jesus together, you, you thrive and you flourish together and you're happy and you're joyful. But yes, even healthy marriages have moments or seasons where they feel unhappy and it feels difficult and it feels hard. But the purpose of marriage is not for your happiness. It's for your holiness. The purpose of marriage is that one sinner marries another sinner and they come together and God holds a mirror up in their face and says, this is how sinful you are and look this person's going to help you become more like me it is about your holiness and it is what it propels you to pursue Jesus more and more and maybe just maybe that thing in your mind that you think if x happened in my marriage I would be happy maybe that thing 
is an idol in your life that you need to turn to Jesus for instead of that? Let me just ask you this morning. What's the thing that you're holding on to that says, if this happened, I would be happier in my marriage? Maybe today, you shouldn't have let that go. Because it's not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. And here's the deal. We haven't even gotten to like the humbling and convicting part yet. <laughs> Anyone else just want to go home right now? <laughs> Listen to the last four verses or five verses of this. Verse 25 through 29. He says, for husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. For no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. I'll summarize this. Marriage is not about your happiness, it's about your holiness. But as the person tasked to cultivate your garden, it is also about her holiness. And I don't know why, in God's divine plan, when he compares men to the church in this moment, he is saying, listen, Christ gave himself up for his church so that through his servant leadership, his sacrifice, she could thrive and flourish and be holy and righteous and stand before God one day and he look at her and say, well done. And he says, do the same in your marriage. Men, we have tasked with the awesome, immense responsibility that at times it doesn't make sense to me of looking at our wives and laying down our life, sacrificing our wants and our needs in such a way that it builds her up so that one day she can stand before Jesus and say, you are blameless, you are pure. There must have been a husband behind you that was pushing you to pursue Jesus. It is our responsibility. It is our duty, not just for ourselves, but for her holiness. We are to cultivate her heart to help her thrive and flourish. Men, it is an immense responsibility. You can do it. I just want you to hear that. You can do it. Not because you are good, not because you are strong, but because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And there are gonna be moments, and there are gonna be moments where you come home and you don't feel like it, and you're tired, and you're worn out, and you've had a bad day, and the enemy's whispering in your mind, it's not that big a deal, you deserve this, take a break, be passive, sit on the sidelines, step back, lean back, don't step in, listen to me very, very clearly. You are a warrior who has a fight in an arena, you get up and you charge into battle and you fight. You fight for your marriage. You stand up, you apologize first. 
You lay down your wants first, even if she doesn't. You care about her needs more than your own. You lay down your life. You say, I love you, even if she doesn't say it back. You don't hold back for another moment. You don't focus on her faults and her mistakes. Instead, you look at her and see what she says about your own faults and your mistakes, and you pursue Jesus even more to help them get better. You don't step back. You step in. You are strong enough to lay down your life for her. Have the courage to admit when you want to apologize. When you are worn and tired and your tank is empty, don't surrender. When Satan whispers in your ear that's not as good as it gets, your marriage will never get better, give up, blah, blah, blah. You have what it takes. From one warrior to another, with Christ, your marriage can be incredible and it can be perfect because God is calling you to fix it, to cultivate it, to stir it, to help it thrive and flourish, and he gives you the strength to do it. And you may lose a battle or two. That's not what makes you a warrior. Warriors aren't a warriors because they always win. A warrior is a warrior because even in defeat, they get back up and don't surrender. Men, you have a responsibility. Cultivate the heart of your wife. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your word, for your sacrifice for us for the way that you show us what it means as, as men to give up our lives for our brides. In this moment, as we continue praying, I just wonder who would be, man or woman would be honest enough and vulnerable in this moment. I would love the chance to pray with you, over you, for you, whatever words you wanna use there. Maybe you're here today and if you were honest, your marriage is not what you thought it would be. Regardless of what campus you are at, would you just be willing to admit that if that's you? Just maybe in the quietness of this moment as everyone's eyes are closed, would you just slip up your hand? My marriage is not what I thought it would be and I need prayer. I see your hands. If your hand is up, I wanna pray for you. Father, I pray for every hand that is raised across all of our campuses that you would begin to revive, restore and renew that covenantal marriage relationship. That you would speak fresh life into dry bones. God, that through your spirit and your power, dead things would come alive, broken things would be fixed, wounds would be healed, scars would disappear and love would thrive. As we continue praying in this moment, maybe you're here today and I said your marriage will never be what God intends it if you are not pursuing Jesus. Maybe that's what the thing you've been thinking about for the last 25 minutes because if you're honest, you're not pursuing Jesus. This morning, I would love to tell you about what it means to pursue him. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to live a life for you because of your selfishness, your sin, your rebellion, disobedience, whatever word you want to use there in your modern language. God sent his son to die in your place to take the punishment that you deserved and then he rose from the grave because he raises you back from your dead self to live a new life in Jesus for all of eternity. 
And it simply starts with you professing to believe. If that's you this morning, I would love for you to make that decision if you haven't. The biggest decision you will ever make in your life to surrender your life to Jesus and follow him. If that's you, just would you just slip up your hand right where you are. Jesus, I surrender to you. If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner and I need your love. Jesus, come into my life, be my king, be my Lord, be my savior. Today I turn, repent and run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're gonna stand and we're gonna worship and sing a song. We wanna let you know our prayer team is available down front if you would like to pray with them or maybe you have something on mind you wanna pray with that's a little more specific. We do have a private prayer area at all of our campuses. Online, you can ask for prayer right there in the chat and someone will talk with you. Let's stand and let's sing and let's spend some time with God.